What's up, you guys? I'm Anya. And I'm Kylie. And this is Two Degrees Hotter, the postgrad podcast where we get real about life after college every Tuesday. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Two Degrees Hotter. Yes. Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, and we have another guest episode for you today with our old friend, Abby Sockety, Abigail Sockety. Mm-hmm. Um, her story is super cool. We grew up dancing together, um, and she actually has started a dancewear company that's aimed at empowering dancers through size inclusivity, which is such a cool mission. But I think the real focus of this episode was like her entrepreneurial journey. So if you have ever considered starting your own business or, you know, turning your side hustle into something more legit, I think you are definitely going to find this episode valuable because she literally talks through the steps like of her entrepreneurial journey in founding her startup. So definitely a lot of knowledge in this one. So definitely stick around. Yeah, for sure. I really think this is one of the most informational episodes we've probably ever put out. Um, And Abby just is very well spoken and, you know, gives you a nice clear rundown of exactly what to expect if you're an entrepreneur you're starting your own business so yeah definitely stay tuned for the interview for sure but before we do that let's get into our segments let's talk about our week in review review of the week shall we we shall So I feel like this week, something that's come up in my mind a couple times is just the concept of like literally how much we used to fit in a single day. Like I think it's because I'm seeing like Snapchat memories and stuff, but I literally like I think about fall 2019 and just like the amount of places, the amount of like physical places that I would be in in one day. And like, I just think that's so insane because today I had a doctor's appointment this morning And then I, you know, worked from home and now we're recording and I'm like exhausted. And I'm like, literally, how did I go like 15 different places in one day at that point? And like, are we ever going to get back to that? Like, I just feel like I don't have the stamina anymore. It feels so foreign. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was thinking that. I even think back to like high school and I'm like, this is not the same brain that woke up every day at 6 a.m. and went to school from like 7 to 2 and then danced from 2 to 9 and then did homework from 9 to 11 and then repeated it every single day for 180 days. Like, Like, where is she? Yeah, but I haven't really stopped to think about the fact that like, I go nowhere. Like, when I say nowhere, I mean nowhere. Like, leave my house one to five times a month maximum. And like, Mm -hmm. most of the time it's just to like go to Starbucks because I need to get out of the house. But yeah, I feel like it's, especially as someone in school, like going to class, I'm going to be like, what is this? What do you mean I'm expected in five different places? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) I know. So that's been one thing that's been in my mind this week. The second thing that I wanted to say is not actually about me. It's about my boyfriend, Grant, but he has been looking for a post-grad job since we graduated in May. And I feel like I just want to bring this up because I feel like Kylie and I were like so fortunate in our positions and I never want that to like discourage anyone or like make us seem unre- like unrelatable because you're still in the job search process or something. But like, of course, you know, I was lucky enough to secure my job basically like right before COVID hit and Kylie already knew she was going to law school. And so I feel like we're not super relatable in that sense of like a lot of people are really struggling right now who graduated in 2020 um, and still looking for a job. And obviously the market's not ideal and all these things. So um, yes, my boyfriend Grant actually just got a job. So I'm literally so happy for him. He has been looking for so long and I know it was like really weighing on his mind. Um, So I wanted to say this just like as proof that like progress is possible this year. So if you're in that position and you're still looking for a job and I know it's so tough, like I saw him go through it um, and like it's so hard on your mental health and you just don't have anything to do. And like I totally get it, but I just want to encourage you guys that like it is possible and you can do it and you got this and um, it's it's a thing. It's happening. People are getting jobs and you will too, I promise. And it'll be the one that you were waiting for. So I'm crossing my fingers for you. Always happy to help with, you know, any, I'll like, I'll like do a mock interview with you. Like just like DM me. Like I want to help everybody. (laughs) So it's so hard right now. Yeah. And to just kind of speak to that, like Grant was a very smart guy, did really well at Northeastern, like on paper was the perfect applicant. So just to add that if you're not getting jobs and if you are struggling, it is not at all speaking to you as an applicant or like you as a capable 
worker to be. Because I feel like, I mean, granted, you know, I don't know what it's like because we were so fortunate. But knowing myself, I imagine that if I was in those shoes, I would start to feel like it is me. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, I should have done this, should have done that, should have done better in this class, should have done this experience. But, you know, you'll get through it. You're doing everything right. And eventually your time will come and everything will work out in the way that it's supposed to. And I keep thinking back, I don't remember the exact quote that one of your mentors told you, but it had something to do with like, it's not like, oh, it's not not down the drain. It's down the timeline. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So just keep that in mind. Um, but my week in review this week, it has nothing to do with jobs and it's about the Peloton who's surprised. So anyone who has a Peloton is in like the Peloton community may know that when you get to a hundred rides, you are part of what's called the century club. And truthfully, the more that I learned about the Peloton, is it a cult? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I think so. <laughs> it's truly possible. Am I here? Am I aware that it's a cult and I'm still here? Of course. Of course. But when you get into the Century Club, when you do 100 rides, or I think it's 100 of any of the types of workouts that they have on like the app, mm. you get a free t-shirt. And I'll tell you what, if college made me anything, it's a whore for a free t-shirt. I would do mm-hmm. anything for a free t-shirt in college because they were just at every corner. I mean, mm-hmm. people would literally be like, put your email down and you get a free t-shirt. And I was like, okay, obviously, like, And I just have so many t-shirts now. So do I need the t-shirt? No, I don't. But did I order it? I absolutely did. Um, So yeah, I'm very excited. Also, like this means that I did 100 rides and that I'm doing something for my like health and well-being, which is also something to celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) I recognize that. Um, And yeah, I'm just happy to have like a workout that I genuinely do enjoy because obviously I've done it 100 times and I'm not going to do something 100 times that I don't like. So, you know, if that gives you a little motivation, once you find something that you like uh, for working out and stuff, it it really does make it a lot easier to keep up with it. And yeah, I was going to say, and you guys should get a Peloton, but I couldn't afford a Peloton. I'm for sure using my family's Peloton and not my own personal one because I understand that they're very expensive. But I do have some friends who have been like hacking the system because I guess a subscription to the app when it's not on the actual bike is... I want to say $13 a month and you can buy like uh, stationary bikes on Amazon for like two to $300. So I have a Mm -hmm. few friends that bought those really cheap, but I shouldn't say really cheap bikes, like two to $300. So a decent chunk of change, but it's not $2,800. So you could buy one of those and do the cheaper subscription and it's like a little Peloton dupe. So food for thought. Is it like a millennium club if you do a thousand? What's, like, the next level? There is, like, that's what it's called. I don't think you get, like, any sort of anything, which is kind of lame because I'm, like, if you slaved over a thousand (laughs) rides, like, you should get something at the end of it. Yeah. They just, I mean, a hundred is way more attainable, so I guess it makes sense why Mm -hmm. they, like, do a whole free t-shirt thing because, like, it's, you know, if you saw, like, you have to do a thousand rides to get this free t-shirt, I'd be, like, okay, whatever, like, if I yeah, not that, even cool. trying. If I don't, I don't. But yeah, so well, I'll congrats. let you guys know when it comes in. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move into our favorites. So my favorite for this week, I'm wearing them right now. I finally got blue light glasses. I kind of thought they were like a gimmicky thing for a long time. Um, and I was just kind of like, I don't wear glasses in general. So I guess like if you already wear glasses and you just get them as like an add on at Warby Parker or whatever, it's one thing, but I don't wear glasses in general. So I just never really tried them, but I really was noticing my eyes getting so fatigued. Like, you know, that feeling like when you close your eyes and it feels like you're really tired, but you know, it's not because you're tired. It's just because your eyes like hurt, you know, like they're just dry and they like hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I was feeling like that, like every single day. And then coincidentally, um, my neighbor got like blue light glasses as like basically an ad like type of thing from her company. Like they just like sent like logo, you know, blue light glasses and she wears real glasses. So she couldn't wear them. So she gave them to me 
And I wore them for like a day and I was like, damn, I actually notice a difference. Like my eyes don't hurt like they do. And so uh, that convinced me and I ended up ordering like some cuter ones. Not that it would have been fine if I stuck with those, but I just wanted ones that like didn't have the logo for regular life. Um, And I really have noticed a difference. So if you've been thinking about it, definitely do it. I've been wearing them every day. I will say one thing that's not ideal is like because their whole point is that they're like reflecting the blue light is I feel like on video, like on Zoom, you can look a little weird because it's like all the blue is reflecting back at the camera. So it's kind of hard to see your face. But I feel like for internal meetings, it's like totally fine. I feel like if I had like a more, um, I don't know, like highly trafficked event or something, I wouldn't wear them. But just for like day to day, it's totally fine. And yeah, I'm a huge advocate now. You got to try it out if you're working from home, staring at lots of screens. Yeah, I really should look into, because I have two pairs of Warby Parker glasses and neither of them have the blue light because it is an additional charge. But mm-hmm. every time I'm like, oh, should I do it? Maybe maybe it's time to treat myself to a new pair of glasses and get prescription ones that have blue light and mm-hmm. see how it goes. Because zooming all day in class, whew, like I like I said, I literally have that tired feeling right now in my eyes. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like it's like hard to explain, you yeah. know. But you know what I mean. Like they're just yeah. you close them and they're like so dry and like I don't know. It's, it's it just, just like feels move. nice to close them, even though you know you don't want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's a good description. Speaking of school, on my end, my favorite is just like super nerdy, and I feel like I always come up with the nerdiest favorites ever. But this is a very recent thing. So I learned that one of my professors doesn't use a TA. And if I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but all of my professors last semester had a TA who would do review sessions either once a week or biweekly. And they would create slides with, you know, the course content. And when I tell you these slides were my lifeline, like I would be nothing without these slides. Because I'll tell you what, I left class and I was like, I don't know what the heck is going on. And then our TA would put together a beautiful PowerPoint. I'd be like, I know the law. This is incredible. Long story short, one of my professors isn't using a TA, which means I don't get slides. So I had the genius idea. I was like, Kylie, you're going to make your own ding dang slides throughout the semester. And this is actually probably going to be good for you in your learning process. Like this is probably why your professor doesn't use a TA. So I was like, if I'm going to make slides, I want them to look damn good when I'm looking at them. So I went to slidesgo.com, which I feel like I've seen TikToks and stuff about this or just like this concept in general, but there's so many websites that do free um, Google slides and PowerPoint templates and they're so mm-hmm. fun. So I did yeah. one and it looks like a little uh, like computer window pops up and there's like little plants on the other side. I love it. So I, like I said, personally use slides go. I don't know enough to know like the difference between different types but my experience I mean for someone who has no idea what they're doing with technology I was able to do it so that just speak for itself and yeah so if you're like me and you're making powerpoints for presentations or study aids or things like that and you just want to like spice up your life a little bit I highly recommend I'm and I'm sharing it with a um classmate who I've done a lot of my studying with and I was like I want you to know that I went all out And I like downloaded a third party template (laughs) for this PowerPoint. And she just texted me and was like, it's so beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, I love, I love these types of template websites. I think they're so useful. And like the ones that give you like all the different types of slides too, like the big number slide, like the all around the world slide, like there's like, it's so comprehensive and they're so Mm -hmm. good. So Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I know people use Canva too for presentations, but I personally feel like Canva's it just has so much design power that it's kind of hard to deal with like a text heavy thing. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely yeah. geared more towards like a design element. So I feel like it'd be kind of hard for me to use it, but I know people do use Canva too. Yeah, for sure. So upgrade your slides this academic season. Yes. All right. So let's move into our interview with Miss Abigail Sockety. Okay, so moving into the main segment, we have Anya and I's longtime friend. Abigail Sockety, who is the founder of Sharing the Bar, which is a dancewear company aimed at empowering dancers to embrace their dance abilities, love their bodies, and finally get dancewear that fits all types of dancers, which is literally such a cool mission, especially because as you can probably guess, all three of us are dancers. Anya and I have talked about how we were dancers in the past, and we grew up with Abigail 
dancing. So Abby, do you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, my name is Abigail Sockety. Um, I graduated Fairfield University last May. Um, I am a I got a bachelor's of science in marketing, also a minor in accounting, and also two two concentrations in uh, digital marketing and theater. So yes, big achiever. Um, but yeah, so I danced with Anya and Kylie um, since you know we were young and continued dancing up in through college. Um, then freshman year of college, I decided that I was going to do a thing. And uh, first semester of sophomore year, I took a semester off and worked for the Walt Disney Company. Um, after that experience, um, it was really transformable for me. And I realized um, that I wanted to start my own dancewear company and sharing the bar. So as Kylie said earlier, um, sharing the bar is a dancewear startup um, that creates versatile designs to fit all dancers and empowers them to love their bodies and embrace their dance abilities. We're kind of breaking down that stereotype and that industry standard of making that one-sized um, leotard and dance apparel um, because those standards are old school and nobody fits into them and they're ridiculous. I love that elevator pitch. I feel like that's such a good one. You're like ready. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're really excited to have Abby here today. We're going to talk through kind of her college experience, her entrepreneurial journey, what it was like to grow up in the dance world with us, all about sharing the bar and kind of what's next. So I think regardless of if you're a dancer or not, you're really going to like this episode and we're excited to get into it here and just catch up because we're all longtime friends and I feel like we haven't really caught up recently. So this should be fun. Absolutely. I'm so excited. <laughs> awesome. So you kind of talked about your college, your major, all of that. But I was curious to ask, do you feel like you've always known that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and do your own thing? Or was there like a moment where that mindset shift happened for you? Like, did you grow up knowing that you would work for yourself? That is a really good question. Um, I feel like, honestly, when I was applying to college, I was all over the place. Um, I always knew deep down that I was going to go into marketing in some capacity. But um, if you asked me senior year what I was going to school for, I might say a physicist and work on movies and do physics and make sure that things like like like, say, helicopters operate in the way that they should based on physics. Or you might get me one day and I was like, oh, I'm going to be um, a marketing manager and work for Warner Brothers and do marketing for their movies. Or one day I might be like, I'm going to be an actress and be in a movie. Um, so <laughs> I was kind of all over the map. But deep down, I always knew that marketing was my path. Um, but it and I had some like entrepreneurial tendencies when I was younger. Like I'd always make business models or business plans. <laughs> like I, when I was younger, I was really into horseback riding. And so I like, I made this whole plan for opening my own horse ranch. <laughs> yeah. So like <laughs> low key horse girl, but no. Um, <laughs> but then like also too, like, like senior year in high school, I wanted to create a nonprofit called Nadia's Angels. Um, Cause, um, so you guys know, but um, I'm part Middle Eastern. And um, during that time, there was the Arab Spring. And so it was well, still going on, but um, it was like just the beginning um, of that whole um, chaotic mess. So I wanted to help out in a way that I could. Um, and that would have been like some dance philanthropy. Um, so long story short, um, no, I never like I, I had entrepreneurial tendencies, but it was never like front of mind. Like I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Um, things just kind of fell into place for me. Actually, freshman year, I was sitting in an accounting class and a student who sat next to me was like, hey, Abby, are you into entrepreneurship? And I kind of told him the same spiel that I just told you guys. And he was like, do you want to join my team? I'm pitching for Fairfield University Startup Challenge. I think like you're really smart. Like I think you could be really good for the team. And I said, ah, sure, why not? And then from there, it, I was like, oh my gosh, I love entrepreneurship because like I just love being able to speak to customers, understand their problems, and then create a solution from you know, the, the, the place of where their problem is starting. So I think that's really cool. So um, it kind of fell into my lap and I just took a chance on an opportunity and that's how I fell in love with it. 
Nice. That's awesome. I, I feel like I really resonate with the fact that like not knowing what you want to do and it changing every single day because that whew, that was me from like the time I came out of the womb until like two days ago, probably just <laughs> constantly changing. Um, but I, I like that you kind of just had that person that came to you and asked you to join their team and it all just kind of clicks into place. Sometimes you just need like one person. To be like, hey, you'd be really good at this for you to be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. And it like all clicks. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. I feel like this person was like the universe embodying yeah. like your true path. Although maybe you know him and you're like, ah, oh, he's actually kind of a tool. I don't know the <laughs> details, but like, I feel like it was kind of a sign, right? Yeah, no, it, it like definitely was like for sure. Um, but yeah, it's so crazy like too, like when you take a chance on a situation, you never know where it might end up. And where you end up is better than where you might have been if you hadn't Mm -hmm. taken the chance. Yeah, true. Uh, So kind of going back a little bit into your college experience, do you feel like it prepared you to start your own business? Absolutely. Um, I love Fairfield University. I will sing their praises all day long. Um, Funny story, just to precurse like why I love Fairfield so much, is actually going to school Uh, I was in between going out to San Francisco or going to Fairfield University, which is in Connecticut. And the reason why I actually picked um, Fairfield was because I was like, oh, if I hate San Francisco, then, you know, it's a lot less like chaotic to try to move back from Connecticut. So like Mm -hmm. I was never really going to go to Fairfield University. It wasn't one of my top choices. But then when I stepped foot at Fairfield and I really integrated myself and found like the entrepreneurship program. Um, It just like everything just fell into place. And, you know, they have such great, like a, such a great network of people and entrepreneurs who are willing to help and connect you to the people that you need to be connected to really make your dream and your business a reality. So um, yes, Fairfield absolutely prepared me well, um, especially their Fairfield startup program. So it's a just an incubator program. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I thought I remembered seeing like a video of you a couple of years back, like your pitch video. So I was going to ask about that, like how that kind of ended up spiraling into like what sharing the bar is now. Yep. So it, is the pitch video the, the original, the Tempest? company? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. So yeah. So um, freshman year until junior, like midway through junior year, I was working on a company called Tempest and it was a scheduling application for um, students and also to an advertising platform for college students because a lot of the local businesses, you're not allowed to directly market on campus to college students, but like in Fairfield alone, like students contributed about a billion dollars to their economy. So if you could tap into that and really like, like get into that, like you could be making so much more for your businesses. So we wanted to give local businesses an opportunity to really grab onto that market, but also to help students like schedule their days and find unique experiences off of campus. Um, So that was kind of my first, first startup thing. Um, And we went through the Fairfield University startup program. So what this program is, is it's a incubator program. So how you get into it is you have to pitch to get into it and only they take a select number of teams. And then through the course of the year, you're working on your business model and you're They bring in different speakers to talk about marketing and branding and uh, accounting and, you know, talking to your customers. How do you solve their problems? What's a good business model? How do you create revenue streams? And like really like going through and combing through that idea to see if it's a viable business. And then at the end, you get to pitch um, in front of, well, when I was a a freshman, I I pitched in front of a live audience. Um, But then last year when I pitched sharing the bar, it was virtual. Um, But then you pitch to a a bunch of quote unquote sharks, um, like (laughs) Shark Tank, and you get like real grant money. So the first time around we won, I think $8,000. And then this time around, I won a $10,000 grant for sharing the bar. Ooh, fun. Um, Yeah, for those of you who don't know, this is like very much in my line of work. So I'm like, we should chat offline about the transition from working on like an app to like a physical product. I want to know all about it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But another thing that you mentioned in your kind of intro is that you participated in the Disney college program. And Kylie and I know that you were actually planning to work for Disney full-time post-grad too. So all of that's really amazing. And I feel like people are really curious about 
the Disney College program and like the allure of working for like the magic that is Disney in general. So do you want to tell us a little more about that and that experience before we dive more into sharing the bar? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked for them my first semester of sophomore year. Um, And basically what the Disney College program is for people who don't um, know what it is or maybe who are interested in what it is, um, basically you apply to work for Disney during, you have to be, I mean, things have changed with the pandemic, but before it was, you had to be either in college or six months post-graduation to work for them. And so you work a 40-hour week um, in the parks. Um, so you can be doing a plethora of jobs. You can be working in quick service food and beverage. You can be working in merchandise. You can be working as custodial. You can be working hospitality. The list goes on and on and on and on. You can work in entertainment. Um, and so you're really, you, when you, you do this program, you're really immersing yourself in the magic and learning all about the business structure. And then also too, on top of your working hours, you also have the opportunity to take a class from employees of, of Disney. So I did the corporate responsibility course. So we talked all about the decision-making model of the Walt Disney Company, which was super, super fascinating. Um, and they brought in like guest speakers from people who worked in Imagineering, from people who worked in marketing, from people who worked in like corporate strategy and um, corporate social responsibility. Um, and so you really get immersed in the business and the the industry. And also, too, one of the really great things about the program is you really learn about the magic of Disney. And, you know, I always loved Disney, but I never understood how much it meant to people. And that company is like this is going to sound super cliche, but it's truly, <laughs> truly magical. And the connections that the customers have to the brand are so powerful. Like I remember there were times that people cried, like they'd see something in the park and then they just cry because <laughs> the like either the characters or the just being in the parks, it's like such a dream for people that just the emotions are so overwhelming and, you know, everything in the park, all the characters mean so much to people. So it was really magical to see how much Disney meant to so many people. And it was actually very humbling and people who came to the parks came from all walks of life. You know, people had their own struggles. So it was really interesting to kind of learn different people's stories. You know, it's like a company that prides itself on telling a story, but it's equally as important hearing the people's stories that come to the parks. So that was a really, really cool experience. So I highly recommend anybody to apply because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really a, a cool program. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear about. I feel like everyone's so curious about the Disney program. And like you said, people do just have such a connection to Disney. And it's such a monster in the entertainment industry. So I feel like as a marketing major and someone who loves marketing, you probably were like having a field day learning about how this giant corporation <laughs> does it. <laughs> Oh, no, absolutely. I was like taking notes. I was like, oh, got to do this for later. Got to do this for yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. Scheming how to get the same emotional connection for sharing the bar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so kind of transitioning into our growing up in the dance world, we know that growing up you struggled to feel confident in dance. Can you talk about why that was the case and how it kind of impacted your path and how you ended up here with sharing the bar? Yeah, absolutely. So I, for viewers who can't see me or don't know me, I am four foot eleven. And if you look out at movies, at dance, like any like rockettes, you know, ballerinas, there's nobody who is four foot eleven. So first, right off the bat, I always saw my height as a challenge and a barrier to enter this industry. But on top of that, I feel like us dancers, we always hold ourselves to this level of, of leveling ourselves up to this ideal dancer. And for people who don't know what this ideal dancer is, it's basically the classic you know, long and lean, um, beautiful turnout, crazy legs, beautiful arch. And it's so hard for most people, like some people can achieve it and go them. Like I'm very jealous, but like for a lot of us, like that's something that we can never achieve and to hold ourselves to those standards can really start to break down your confidence. Um, because not only was I not tall, but I also did not have 
great flexibility. Like it was very bad flexibility that I had to work on for a long time. Um, did not have good turnout, half flat feet. So, you know, we are just knocking off all the boxes that, you know, we equate ourselves to being a good dancer. So, you know, I went through the struggle, but then once I worked for the Walt Disney Company, I realized that that ideal dancer just does not exist. Like it, it just doesn't. It's a thing that we've we've conceptualized in our minds, but it's not something that's that's real. And so, with sharing the bar, I really wanted to, you know, tell dancers that this ideal dancer, like, don't don't try to level up to them, like to that that standard, because it doesn't exist. Like it just, it doesn't be who you are because that's really special. And once you start believing in yourself, like everything else just melts away. And there's just like this like level of freedom that where you really, you can like really express yourself. And that's something that I experienced myself is once I just let all that stuff go and stop thinking, well, I'm not a good dancer because I'm not tall. I'm not a good dancer because of X, Y, Z. And like, I was just like, you know what, I'm here to dance and I'm going to do well. I just, I saw my technique. I saw everything, my performance quality, like exponentially grow. And so that's kind of why, you know, I'm doing sharing the bar is to not only, you know, break down that standard of designing for this, you know, ideal dancer, because that's an unhealthy standard, but also too to give you the confidence and the tools to cultivate your confidence so that you can feel that like, you know, rush of freedom and like just accomplish what you want to, like whatever your success is, is to like, so that you can accomplish that success. I love that. And yeah, Kylie, I've talked a little bit about, um, you know, our journey when it comes to the dance industry and, you know, all of the high standards that it tends to hold people to and everything, whether they're achievable or not. Um, and so you kind of talked about those standards a little bit, but given that Sharing the Bar is a dancewear company, we were curious to ask, when did you realize there was a huge gap in inclusivity for the dancewear industry itself? And maybe touch on a little bit the role that dancewear can play in your confidence at an audition or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So this one also stems from both my own personal experience and then going out and validating that with other people. So I, because I was short, leotards never fit me. I'd always have to tie them back with hair elastics or like buy something that was too small and just like felt terrible in all the wrong places. Um, and then also to like going into that dressing room when you find that leotard, you're like, oh my God, this is so cute. Like, can't wait to try it on. And then you try it on you and you're like, oh, like this just doesn't fit me. Like it's like such a letdown. Um, so like I faced those problems and then like, you know, talking with other people, the more and more I talked about like my own individual struggles with people, the more and more people were like, uh, yeah, that happened to me too. Like I have one friend who like came from a line of, of, um, Juilliard dancers. And she was like, yeah, like my mom put me in a leotard and I was like, no, not going to work for me. And like, that was the end of her dance career. And me, like my roommates and I from college always joke around with her because she has beautiful feet. And we're like, you should have been a dancer. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you have gorgeous feet. Um, but, like, you know, and then, like, just other people in passing, they're like, I struggled that too. Like, you know, and, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's you know, the more and more I talk to people, I've, I find that, you know, it's, it's a problem uh, with a lot of dancers. And then, actually, while I was designing the line, I, one of the, the things that struck me um, was my designer gave me some size charts because she was like oh like what do you want to work off here's some industry standards and I saw the side charts and I literally went oh my god because literally the sizes the only difference in the size was um breast size so it was like a 510 all the way across and what the difference between like a zero and a two to a four to a you know up was just breast size the breasts went up and I was like no person like doesn't like nothing else changes. It was like that. Yeah. Like I wish that happened to me, but like <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, so you know, like it's just a culmination of things of talking to people and seeing how like the industry designs and going, oh my god, this is not working. We need to change this. Um, but um, I'm sorry, I'm totally spacing on your second part of the question. Oh, I was just you know going to ask about the role that dancewear can play in confidence because, you know, us as dancers, we know that if you're at an audition, if you're at a convention, like you have to stand out 
in some way. And a lot of times people do that through what they're wearing, through the colors, through the fit, all of these things. So if you could just talk a little bit about that for maybe our audience that's not as familiar. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that was actually another thing that I uh, realized through working with the Walt Disney Company is um, I did I did end up going to a few auditions. And um, the one thing that stands like makes you stand out in a room of 500 girls is basically what you're wearing. Um, Because like, first of all, I can't, you know, process 500 bodies. So like you have to wear something that really captures someone's eyes so that they are drawn to you. Um, On top of that, like your performance quality too. But, um, you know, wearing something that that makes you feel good also just gives you that added confidence. I think that like, you know, your confidence has to be within you, but your clothing can help you maximize that or give you like set you in the mood, like in a mood, right? So Mm -hmm. like if you're wearing something like you could wear something that's really pretty. And so you could feel more like a ballet dancer. Like I would do that in ballet sometimes, or like you could wear something a little bit more fierce and angled to make you like feel more like, you know, a hip hopper or like, you know, gritty. So, you know, your your what you wear can really transform the mood and like your how you approach your style. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up like the confidence aspect cuz I feel like when I think about it, like especially if you're going into professional dancing and you are auditioning, it's the same as like going for an interview for a job. And obviously like you pick out your like best power suit, at least that's what I do. I pick out my best power suit, what I feel most confident in so that you look your best and you feel your best. And so dancers should get the same thing. But when the sizes are only going up by breast size, most dancers aren't going to find something that actually makes them feel comfortable in their own skin, especially when they're wearing a freaking skin tight leotard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, you absolutely have to feel confident in what you're wearing. Um, It can definitely help you for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm glad that you um, told us that story about the sizing because I had no idea. And that just feels like so like weird and patriarchal and I hate that. So I'm really glad that there's a brand uh, like yours that's kind of breaking that trend. Yeah, I honestly, I, I could, like, I wish someone could have videotaped me when I saw it, because I, my mouth literally dropped. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Like, any sane person knows that it's absolutely ridiculous. So for someone to have conceptualized that, it was just like, oh, people, like, this is the worst. <laughs> so you kind of talked about, you know, where the inspiration for sharing the bar came from. Um, But I'm curious, how'd you come up with the name? We always ask like entrepreneurs that we have on the show about this. And maybe if you could explain like the bar aspect and the spelling maybe for (laughs) non-dancers. Yeah, absolutely. So sharing the bar kind of comes from, so first off, if you walk down the street and you ask someone, oh, what is dance? Usually the first thing that comes to their mind is ballet. And in ballet, you're, you work with um, a ballet bar. So if you've ever taken like a pure bar class, like the bars that you work on, those that's, you know, a ballet bar. So I kind of wanted to pull on this, you know, this thought of, you know, what our mind kind of goes to first and kind of playing with that. So our mind goes to first the ballet bar, but then I wanted to take that image of the ballet bar and really... Because what we're doing is, you know, the industry sets the standard, but we're kind of breaking apart that standard and saying that the bar is not what this ideal dancer is. It needs to be allowed for everybody, you know, whether that's, you know, size, whether that's background, race, etc. You know, the bar, like dance is such a, a very like special art form. I think, and that like, you know, one of your guests prior said, like, anybody can dance. And it's so true. Anybody can dance. But we need to break down those boundaries that might deter someone from wanting to dance and and dance more like a a structured environment, um, like a dance class. Um, So that's kind of where sharing the bar came from was taking that icon of dance and saying, you know, we're taking the icon, but it's not going to be how we always thought it was. We're going to take it, break it apart, break down our perceptions, and we're going to, you know, share it with everybody in all different dance types, too, because I know sometimes people are like, oh, you're only doing ballet. No, like we're doing all different genres. So, you know, you can wear a leotard for hip hop, you know, 
like you can wear a hip a leotard for jazz, you know. So um, yeah, so we're really trying to break down, you know, the, the industry standards and making a new in- community that's more accepting and inclusive. I know that uh, at our studio, at least the three of us, uh, we would have so many classes back to back that we definitely wore leotards in hip hop. So very true. Um, And it's funny because I don't even know if this is like something you thought of when coming up with the name. But for me, when I hear sharing the bar, the place where my mind immediately goes is like, you know, how everyone kind of had their their own spot at the bar and it was like your spot. And it was almost like an exclusivity thing. Like if you want to stand closer to the mirror, if you want to stand closer to the back, like that's your spot. But I like the idea that sharing the bar is like shaking it up and inviting new people to stand in your spot at the bar. And, you know, I don't know. That's just where my mind went. <laughs> oh, no, but I, I love that. I like that that imagery because actually I was I was going to conduct a study of what people like what what people thought of when they heard sharing the bar. So that's actually really that's really cool. That's awesome. But it, it's kind of, you know, the similar thing is, you know, we're shaking it up, <laughs> you know, giving a new place. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, you kind of have touched upon this a little bit, but for any future entrepreneurs out there listening, what was kind of your step-by-step process in getting started with sharing with the bar? Ooh, um, let's think. That's like a good question because sometimes, honestly, as an entrepreneur, your brain is going like a million miles a minute. And so you're literally multitasking on so many different things and they're all like swirling in your brain like a cyclone. Um, So I think the first step, in you know thinking about and creating the business model for sharing the bar was first interviewing people so i needed to validate the problem did people feel the same did people face the same problem that i faced and i saw yes it's true okay so now the second step is okay so i have this problem what's my solution and so i had to do a lot of digging and finding and you know even as we were going through the design process we're constantly evolving how we're making things and doing things Um, So that's two. So problems, solution. And then the question that everybody has to, it's like the dreaded question. Well, not dreaded question, but how do you make money? You know, so you have to look at your, your revenues and your expenses and how do those look? And sometimes, unfortunately, you have to go back to your solution and refine those solutions so that you have revenue and that the expenses, you know, you're not just, um, you know, you're running a business, not just a, like a nonprofit, unfortunately. Um, so once you have your your problem, your solution, you've kind of started thinking about revenue streams, how you're going to make money, um, how, you know, also too, when you make money, then you can grow the business. When you grow the business, you can reach more customers and, you know, things like doors open for you um, is really kind of drilling down. Okay. So how am I going to share the solution? So for sharing the bar was how are we going to get out our product to our customers. So we had to think about too, like who are making, who's making the decision in buying. So for us, we realized that both the dancer and the parent had the influence because the parent has the wallet sometimes and the dancer has the influence. Mom, I love this. This is great. Or dad, hey, I love this. Um, So how are we going to target them? So for us also too, being a startup, you get a be aware of expenses. So we were going to first launch um, through an e-commerce site, but we're also going to partner with studios and sell our product through them. Um, but, you know, whatever product you're creating, you got to think about how you're going to distribute that because you can't, you know, you might have a great product, but if you can't get it out there, then unfortunately you're dead in the water. Um, so then after, you know, you're, you've thought about your distribution, you got to think about your marketing, how you're going to touch all your customers, right? And how you're going to build your brand. And then from that, you just got to (laughs) jump. You just (laughs) jump off that diving board and go for it. You know, um, you know, they say that I think it's what 95% of startups fail. So you just got to take a chance on yourself and you know, your business and hope to God that you did everything that you possibly could to make that business succeed. Um, so that's kind of my step-by-step approach to, you know, starting your own, your own business. But definitely I think some of the challenges that us entrepreneurs we have are sometimes confidence, like entrepreneurship is such like a, a roller coaster. You have days where you're like, yes, this is great. My idea is awesome. Like we're doing good stuff. And then the next day it's like, it's not going to work. 
it's just not going to work. And then the next day you're like, yeah, this is great. So it's just ha- like trying to manage through those ups and downs and knowing that, you know, you're working to solve your customer's problem. And that is what you focus on. I feel like that's such a good explanation for our listeners. So thank you so much for running through all that. I feel like I just got like a little mini like business class. I'm like, okay, taking notes. Great. <laughs> um one of the more kind of, I guess, like tactical, logistical things that we were curious about, we saw that you guys just became an official LLC, if that's right. So congrats yeah, on you. that. Um, can you talk about that process and maybe like why it's important for aspiring entrepreneurs listening to go through all of that like legal trouble to get to that point? Yeah, absolutely. So I had I spoke with a lot of mentors on whether to incorporate or not because technically we haven't sold any product yet. So there is still a chance that we might unfortunately never sell any product. That will not be the case. Um, but, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's a, a real reality that you have to live with. So you have to kind of also t- to real like, you know, you have to juggle a lot of things. Um but for me, what we decided was we have seen a lot of positive traction um, with our product. Um, also, so we knew that we would need to incorporate at some point. Also, two, there's just so much legal stuff and with taxes and all this extra stuff that like, it's crazy. It's just, let me just say it's crazy. Um, yeah. I'm like, Kylie, we're looking at you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> let me <I> go. <laughs> like, so much respect. So much respect. Um, but we just decided like a, an LLC for us was the right choice for us because we're, you know, starting off as a small business and I wanted to have that legal protection. Um, also too, I wanted to make it official um, because also too, once we start selling product, we have to collect taxes and all that gross stuff that's not fun stuff. Um, so that's kind of why we decided to do that. But I know that there are some people who wait and still like they they have their businesses as um, sole proprietorship or a partnership. So it's kind of it depends on your business and your space. But I knew that I wanted to make sharing the bar big. So I knew that I, I was going to have to do that eventually. And I'm at a point too where I haven't had any outside investments. So like no angel or VC funding or anything. But the people that I was talking with, and sooner or later, it's just going to have to happen. So we did it. But I know that it's it's, it's like a hard thing because like some people can, some people don't. But I just wanted to make sure that I'm protected and have all my ducks in a row for when we start selling. You know, as someone with one single semester of law school under the belt, I think it was a smart choice. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, fun fact, the how you file your business, whether an LLC, sole proprietor, affects where you are deemed a citizen and therefore what courts you can be sued in. So the more you know people, do your legal research. <laughs> Thank um, you. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. um, so moving away from law school, what have been some of the biggest learning curves when it comes to starting a fashion company, a dancewear company from the ground up? For me, it was definitely the the fashion production side. I have a lot of experience with marketing and marketing was kind of my thing. Um, but I didn't know really anything about about fashion other than that I like to, you know, you know, I like to style myself. So that was a big learning curve for me is to understand the ins and outs of the whole industry and how you cr- take you know, my crazy, ugly Picasso-esque sketch and make it into a tangible, real, in our case, leotard. Um, I did have um, help from a designer. Um, and so she kind of did the whole process. But for me, like learning each little step and understanding how much work goes into just developing one piece of of um, clothing was mind boggling to me. Um, So that was a really cool experience to learn, like to learn about um, and to like see it, you know, see the whole process go through. Um, I think also too, the other learning curve is definitely like incorporating taxes actually right before this. (laughs) I was actually researching like tax 
codes and all that stuff. <laughs> so that is definitely a learning curve because, you know, I can create, you know, my business model. I can talk to, to my vendors. I can talk to my customers, but then like getting into nitty gritty of, okay, like you have to pay your taxes. You got to get a business license. You have to get a license in every state where you're going to do business. It's just like enough to make your mind explode. So like that has been um, a bit of a learning curve for me as well as like, okay, this is real, like time to get real, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like your story actually reminds me a little bit of um, another guest that we had, Sarah from Holdet. So if you guys are interested in Abby's story, definitely go check out that episode too, um, where she was designing um, suits like for women. And so she had a really similar experience of like, oh, we actually have to make the thing and, you know, pick the samples and pick the supplier and it's like a whole thing. So, so much respect. I uh, know it's not easy. Um, but you've kind of mentioned, you know, mentor figures and interviewing people. And so it sounds like your dance network has kind of played a big role in your journey so far. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe like the advantage of growing up in dance in this experience? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, having danced and really like created relationships within the dance community is very helpful because it does give you, you know, points of contact to kind of bounce ideas off of and or to have other people who could help you connect with other individuals as well. So like for me, some big help is connecting with other dance studios. So get some of the girls from the dance studio to try on some of the samples and ask them, you know, what works, what doesn't work? Like, what would you like to see, you know, and really interviewing them. So having that like resource at my fingertips is really helpful. Um, but then on top of that too, having someone who's, you know, immersed more in the the studio realm is really helpful too, because then like I've been connected to a few different other studios, which is really helpful. Um, so, and then like cultivating those relationships so that we can, you know, obviously push our product um, through them um, or sell our product through them. Um, so that's been really helpful. So having just the network and people to, you know, bounce your ideas off of, or, you know, just, ask for different connections is really, really helpful and helpful in moving the business along. Because I think that if I, well, one, if I didn't dance, that would be a major issue. But if <laughs> I didn't, if I wasn't um, able to um, have as much help as I did, I think I would still be having like, like just a pipe dream mm -hmm. in it, it not be a reality. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, as postgraduate people and like, anyone in college, you, you learn so quickly how important networking is. And I bet all three of us were willing to bet that like our dance network wasn't going to be like our professional network. So it's just, I think it's really inspirational that like you really can like network and get connections and really build something from any uh, place in your life where you were. Um, so yeah, but we've seen all the sneak peeks on Instagram and we're curious if you can share a little bit more about the designs of the leotards and when we can expect to see them live on the website. Absolutely. So um, we have, so our first initial launch, we will have three different leotards um, in three different colors. We're still picking the colors, but um, one is definitely going to be black because every studio wears black. Um, another, we picked out this beautiful blue, like it's a jewel blue color it's beautiful i'm actually gonna like put it on the instagram like either this week or next week as a little teaser so you'll get to see the blue um and then we're still playing around with that third color but it could be a pink or it could be a monotone gray um haven't really decided i'm still like testing that with different dancers to see what they like and what they don't um but each leotard um, will come in seven sizes, so extra, extra small to extra, extra large. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, right? Um, and so, um, so yeah, so extra, extra small, extra, extra large. Um, but th that's, that's our first launch. But we're looking to, like, in year two, we're going to expand the line and grow um, just, you know, as a smart startup. You know, we got to start small with our minimum viable product and see how things go. Um, another really cool, two cool little features about our product is one, size is not on our product, which I was really, really excited about because I feel like sometimes we allow the size on our clothing to define who we are, mm -hmm. but really we define who we are and we should just feel good in whatever we're wearing. 
So um, we do unfortunately have to put size somewhere. So we just have it on a removable tag just because our manufacturer has to know like what is what size so that you get the size that you need and you Mm -hmm. want. Um, But after that, you take that tag and you recycle it and it's gone. Your leotard is your leotard. Um, And then the second really cool thing, um, I'm really huge into sustainability. And so when I was like going through the designs, that was like one of my like main focuses, how can we create a sustainable product? And so during the design process, there's so much waste. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, brainstorming, doing the entrepreneurial thing that we do, I came up with um, instead of just throwing away the leftover fabric is taking that and kind of upcycling it. So we'll be creating scrunchies and headbands out of them and possibly masks, but I just want to make sure that they're um, adhere to like health standards and I'm not giving you like a bad mask. (laughs) That would be really bad. Um, But yeah, so we're kind of upcycling that fabric. So that's what I'm super, super excited about. Um, But we are, if all things go well and all things go well with um, coronavirus, because that does kind of affect our production. Um, we are looking to launch in the late spring of 2021. So I'm super, super excited um, about that. I love both of those like special features so much. And also, you know, having a little bit of experience in the startup world, I know it's really, really, really hard to stock lots of different sizes. Like if you guys don't know that listening, it's really hard for a small business to have a big size range. It's just the way it is. It's like the order quantities, like it's so difficult. So I love that you're making that a priority because I know it's like such a challenge. No, it really is. And I forgot to point out one other cool feature about our leotards. So two of them, we have um, the straps in the back don't attach. You tie them manually yourself. So it does give you some variability. Uh, So like if you have a longer torso, the same size fits if you have a shorter torso. And the same thing too, like I know certain girls like, you know, different coverage in certain areas. So you can really adjust that as well. I wish all costumes were like that. <laughs> I know. I'm like, where were you when we were dancing? <laughs> I Literally. Um, so kind of wrapping up this whole section about the company itself, we were curious, do you have any big goals for sharing the bar? Like if you could, you know, shoot for the sky, where would you be in five years? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, shoot for the sky. So my big hairy idea, I would love to sell my company to Athleta, but then stay on team like as their marketing director um, so that I can really have oversight of the brand. But um, I think that would be really, really cool. But I would love to really expand the brand into, you know, offering a bunch of different um, dancewear um, products. So, you know, shorts, leggings, you know, you name it, the world is our oyster. Um, but then also too, like branching out and really fulfilling our mission of, of empowering dancers to feel confident and love their bodies um, and embrace their dance abilities. So I have many ideas of how that would happen. Um, None of them are really like set in stone or anything, but um, I see product extensions. I see competitions that are, you know, for a cause in the future. Um, But yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the like big hairy ideas because Anya and I brought that up in an episode like three weeks back. And now this is what our like third or fourth time yeah like we never heard the like term hairy goals and it just like keeps coming up in different parts of our life like another person we interviewed said it too and we're like what like how we never heard this term before now it's everywhere yeah no I literally yeah like all my mentors mentioned it they're like what is your big hairy idea and it's like it's kind of funny because it's like it's like it kind of makes sense because it's like your big goal but like the hairiness of it like it like you know what I mean it's like ah because it is it's like awkward you're like oh like you know it could happen like if you really work hard and you really set that goal like it really could happen but like in the moment when you think about it, it's kind of like oh my god like this is like nerve-wracking yeah I also um learned actually today or yesterday um that Athleta is a B Corps so yes. yeah super in line with your sustainability mm-hmm. goals there so yeah, anyone who listened to our How to Achieve Goals episode, we know what we're talking about when we say big, hairy, audacious goals or tips or ideas. <laughs> um, 
But that was kind of all the questions we had for you. We want to know what's one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation we just had. Ooh, one thing to take away. I think, honestly, if you have a dream or if you have a goal in mind, don't be fearful of going out and pursuing that. You know, because if you don't take a risk, then you never know what might happen. And like I said earlier, like best things happen when A, you least expect them, but also too, when you take those chances. So I strongly encourage you, like if you have a goal, if you have a dream, if you want to start a business, do it. Just jump right in and do it. Because if if you end up being like that 95%, at least you tried and you learned so, so much. Um, because like even when I talked recently about that one company that I was working on, we did fail. But if I hadn't failed in that, it wouldn't have set me up for success with sharing the bar. So just go out there and do your thing. That is definitely great advice. Um, and before we hop into the this or that portion of this episode, we want to know how can our listeners get involved with sharing the bar? What's like the social handles? Where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us at sharing the bar and bar spelled B-A-R-R-E on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook, but I personally prefer the Instagram um, at the same handle, facebook.com slash sharing the bar. Um, if you want to reach me, um, my Instagram handle is a little wonky because I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I made it when I was like um, in middle school and I was going through like a rebranding process, or at least that's what I thought in my mind. <laughs> and so my handle is at Abby, but A-B-B-E underscore 97. So if you want to follow me or you can just honestly just search Abigail and then my last name is Sakati, S-A-K-A-T-I. Um, so at sharing the bar with two R's um, and Abigail Sakati on Instagram. Awesome. And as always, we'll have everything linked in the show notes below so that you can have a quick access to all of Abby's stuff. Yes, but now it is one of our favorite parts of our guest episodes. You guys know the drill. Um, Abby has not seen any of these yet, so it's going to be a really candid response. We're going to do five this or that questions. So I'll kick us off with the first one. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Really? Mm -hmm. I kind of took you for a savory gal. Well, are we talking like sweet like chocolate or like would you call chocolate savory? Because like I'm definitely a chocolate person. I feel like chocolate would fall sweet unless it's like very dark and salted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, definitely sweet then. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Um, Performance or rehearsal? Performance. She's a Disney gal, ladies. I was like, I'm not surprised (laughs) by that answer. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, do you drink coffee is the preface to this? Absolutely. Okay. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Oh, this is so hard because I'm I'm like one of those weird people who prefer like it depends on the season. Me too. I'm like that too. Like winter, definitely hot coffee. Like I don't like to feel cold when I'm drinking iced coffee. But if I'm during the summer, definitely iced coffee. See, I was the stereotypical New Englander walking to class and like below freezing temperatures with an iced coffee in my hand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. My hands would freeze off. I had gloves. If I buy coffee, oh, true, gloves help. Um, If I buy coffee out, it's always iced pretty much. But if I make it in the winter, it'll be hot. I don't know why. I never buy hot drinks though, weirdly. Oh, interesting. I don't know why. I feel like maybe because they're all smaller. I'm like, it's not enough bang for my buck, you know? Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. (laughs) Um, So our next one is kind of a fun one. Would you rather only be able to whisper or only be able to scream? Ooh. Well, I feel like I have to say whisper because a lot of my friends, when I talk to them in person, they're like, you talk so like softly. So, but I feel like in my own brain, I'm like talking very loudly. So I probably would say whisper um, just because like, honestly, like yelling all the time, like hurts your voice. Yeah. I feel like I um, can see where your friends are coming from because I feel like that is kind of the case. Like you, you're very like, I don't know, focus on like the individual person you're talking to. And that's why I feel like you do kind of like soften your voice. Like you're very like soothing in that way. So I see what they mean. (laughs) Um, Okay, last one. Gotta end it on a dance one. 
ballet or jazz? Jazz, all the way. <laughs> she was so quick. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel I'm the same. Way. Jazz girl. <laughs> <laughs> like watching, doing, or like all of the above. All of the above. Yeah, I I love Fosse. Like Fosse mm. jazz. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I just also too like being like sassy and fierce. You know, like you just like you know, like it's it's nice to be beautiful, but sometimes you just want to like you know get a little gritty. I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm a sucker for a character shoe myself. <laughs> oh, love Leducas. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Abigail. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Yay. Yay. We're glad you had fun and we're glad that you told us where everyone can find you. And again, that'll be in our show notes down below. But yeah, we will see you all next Tuesday for another new episode. Yes. Be sure to follow us on Instagram as well. Yes. That'll be linked down below. All the links are always down below. Yep. And ch we'll chat with you guys next Tuesday. Thanks again, Abby. Absolutely. Absolutely.